Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast. Today, we're chatting about the Golden Globes, Giacchino back in the director's chair, Ari Aster's next fever dream, and the latest trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. All this and everything else that happened this week in Geek. Hey, it's Nate, and if you're joining us for the first time, we are Geekcentric, a podcast celebrating the world of movies, TV shows, toys, collectibles, gaming, and all things Geekcentric. Joining me for this week in Geek, we have my jelly slug slinging jiffler, gestating in January. He's Justin the Long Bottom Lawrence. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I was looking for like Harry Potter. We got a Harry Potter story today, so I was looking mm-hmm. for Harry Potter words. I like the long jelly bottom. Slug. I definitely have a long bottom. I would. I you got a long bottom, dude. Yeah, it's do. all the way down yeah. to your ankles now. I think you're because you're getting older. But listen, back in the habit in the year of the rabbit, he's the nut keeper, crumb sweeper with the kooky features like a creature teacher. He's Kevin, the kaiju kissing Hudson. <laughs> Salutations. That was magical. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I, it there never ceases go. to amaze me how you must really get use out of your thesaurus. It's probably my most read uh, book slash website uh, of uh, of the past few years. I think for sure. I do have to ask, what's a nut keeper? Well, a nut, Kevin, in Harry Potter is uh, types of currency for Harry Potter people. Oh, okay. All the right. people in the world of the Harry Potter lands is a nut, and then you've got a sickle, and then you've got other things, uh, and then a keeper is in is in Quidditch. Right. Yes. And then yep. you got Victor Crumb uh, and then Creature Teacher. And then Kaiju Kissing is actually from a different news story. But how are both of you doing this uh, <laughs> lovely evening tonight? Doing great. Doing great. Starting off yeah, on a yeah, great yeah. note here. I, like yeah. it. I think so. Just I think you're constructing yeah. your method of madness in your in your opening logs there. It's a whole thing. It's a whole <laughs> thing. Um, I, I wanted to kick off this week in Geeks episode uh, as it's our first episode of the year. Uh, and I want to ask both of you sort of a new year. New Year's question, um, you know, people are always making their resolutions and then they, they never keep them. I don't know who you are that says you keep your resolution, but you don't. Uh, so this week I wanted to know, what are your realistic resolutions? Something that you can actually think that you can achieve, whether it's like, I'm going to not leave crumbs after I eat a piece of, you know, toast, <laughs> something like that. Well, I'm I'm always going to leave crumbs when I eat a piece of toast, so I'm not even going to pretend that I can manage that. But you're one. the you're the crumb sweeper, dude. You're the crumb sweeper. As I just said. Oh, geez, okay. Well, okay. I'm changing my whole outlook for 2023. Yeah. Then. New goals. New goals. Uh, no, you know, every year I say I'm gonna I'm gonna eat healthier. I'm gonna eat better. I'm gonna lose weight. Uh, and I'd say once every five years, I actually stick to it. Uh, make it a little bit longer than a week or two. Um, I mean, if you've known me for, for as long as Justin has, you know that my weight goes up and down more than Christian Bale <laughs> training for movies. Uh, I'm up, I'm down, I'm all over the place. But this year, uh, I've got the added incentive not only of uh, a few trips that are going to require some trips to the pool, which is always motivation nice. enough, but with our, our little girl here now, I want to be uh, as as and, and healthy and, and ready to play and, and be a part of her life as much as possible. So that's all the motivation one could and should need to uh, really get the, the whole health game in check. This is the year. This is the I'm going to see an ab on my stomach by the end of the year. 
damn it. Whoa. Like, you're going to have a one-pack or a two-pack even? Let, you know, let's start with a one-pack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds good. <laughs> Justin, how about yourself? I don't know, man. Uh, I think I gave up on resolutions a long time ago. You know, for some people, it can be definitely very motivating. I, I don't want to take right. away from that. But I also think it can sometimes becomes a sort of a deterrent because by the time you get there and things change, you know, you look back and it's like this negative thing on the year and you celebrate at the end of the year what you have to celebrate for for the year that you've come from and, and be optimistic about the new year. I, I, that's all that's all I would ever want to tell anyone if they're about New Year's resolutions, right? Because we all have goals and things that we want to do. It's It's hard to put them in a tier of like, that's going to be a resolution. So that was a beautiful non-answer. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's such a good point. Like, and you never know what's going to come your way, right? Like the last yeah. time I was on my big weight loss binge was leading up to my wedding in January of 2020. And we got back from the wedding and we were ready to kick it into high gear and keep going. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and two years of lockdowns and, and, you know, and you, you can never see that coming. And that really, you know, had, a, you know, I put on a COVID 50, uh, if if not uh, much much more, you know what I mean. And it was instead of getting co-fit, I got co-fat. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> it, you put those expectations and you don't meet them, it can be a little demoralizing. And so I kind of like Justin's outlook there. Oh, I appreciate, uh, you know, Kevin. Yeah, COVID. That's why I gained weight. Okay, good to know. <laughs> um, but <laughs> for myself, I think. Um, I'm excited this year. This is going to be, I, I, I'm going to make a resolution right here on the podcast. This is going to be the, this is finally the year that I will see if I'm interested in Dr. Who. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a very achievable <laughs> resolution. This is the 60th anniversary of the show. So with Darcy's help, uh, I'm excited to see if I can sit down and actually get invested in the show that I know has, it's got a huge following both inside and outside of the UK and, you know, we've got our upcoming trip to the UK for Star Wars Celebration, so I kind of want to try to see if I can squeeze in a bit of uh, Doctor Who, become a Who Whoville Whovian or whatever they're called, uh, and uh, and go full a not British. to be confused a with a Susian. It's a Whovian, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm sure Darcy will have to correct me, um, but I'm excited to learn what a TARDIS is and figure out why I keep seeing sonic screwdrivers in my Instagram ads. But um, listen, <laughs> we actually have some breaking news before we even get to the real news. It is, this is huge. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is coming in. This is just happening. This is under an hour old. Uh, this comes from IGN on Twitter who write, to rival the popularity of Sprite, Pepsi is ditching Sierra Mist in favor of a new lemon-lime caffeine-free soda called Starry uh, with higher citrus flavors that are true to fruit and more aromatic than Sierra Mist. No, no, no announcements have been made as to when this new soft drink will make its way to store shelves, but rest assured we'll be trying it as soon as it gets to Canada. I added that last part. Justin, Kevin, what do you think of the loss of Sierra Mist after 24 years of its service to Pepsi Company? This is huge. I don't know if I have enough information to comment on this. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if I've ever tried Sierra Mist. Uh, no. If I'm if I'm in that very rare mood where I'm like, ooh, I'd like a, a soda pop that tastes like sour lemons and limes, uh, I'll just snap into a Sprite. Right. And especially right. because. Coke does it right. Their diet pops are amazing. Sprite Zero tastes just like the real thing with none of the calories. Mm -hmm. So I've always been mm -hmm. a Sprite guy. I will say that the 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 packaging for Starry is very aesthetically pleasing. I like right. I like the look they've got going. 
Yeah, it gives me very like I I feel like I would see it next to a Japanese ramyun drink like in in Tokyo somewhere. Like it does look very stylistic, very colorful. Uh, you know they've had a they've had their ups and downs, right? I mean, Miss Twist back in 2016 was such a big failure, uh, and so now they've you know they they end in 2018 they reverted back to CRMS. So you know I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a an interesting. How do you year. know so much um, about this beverage? Listen, it's, <laughs> is the it's internet a... that is was it all attached to the, the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's such a I think it's such a prolific lineup in the Pepsi Co product lineup. So I just thought you know I had to I had to mention it before we get to the real news. But listen, let's get to the real news. It's all about the details. All right, let's kick it off with talking about uh, the Golden Globes 2023. We have a write-up here from Entertainment Weekly from Dan Snyerson. Uh, On Tuesday night, the Golden Globes were held for the 80th time in history, though this year's ceremony was notable for a bigger reason. The awards show that is supposed to honor excellence in film and TV has been trying to recover from a racial exclusion scandal after a 2021 Los Angeles Times story revealed that none of the 87 Hollywood foreign press members were black. Tom Cruise subsequently gave back his globes. NBC opted not to air the ceremony last year, and reform in the form of inclusivity began to take shape. After Jared Carmichael explained to the audience at the Beverly Hilton uh, how he wound up as the host, uh, spoiler, he says, uh, I'm here because I'm black, uh, before launching into a detailed and honest account of his decision-making process. The trophy distribution uh, then began. Uh, the Banshees of... Inishirin, which led all movies with eight nominations, struck up a meaningful friendship with the Globe voters uh, over the evening. Uh, the Irish Island set tra- tragic comedy, that's an interesting word, uh, took home the best comedy film trophy, while Colin Farrell triumphed in the acting category, and writer Martin McDonough, McDonough uh, won for best screenplay. The Fablemans also came into frame by winning Best Drama, Film Honors, uh, and Best Director, Steven Spielberg. Meanwhile, Everything Everywhere, Let's Go, all at once prevailed in two dimensions as Michelle Yeoh and Ki-Hui Kwan netted acting trophies. Uh, On the TV side, ABC comedy Abbott Elementary, which boasted the most nominations of any show, with five built off of its Emmy momentum uh, and went to the head of the class, winning Best Comedy Honors and Golden Globes for Quinta Brunson and Tyler James Williams. An even bigger Emmy Emmy magnet, uh, HBO's The White Lotus, enjoyed the privilege of converting its four nominations into two awards, one for Best Limited Series and another for Jennifer Coolidge, Wow, uh, who I think also delivered the funniest speech of the night. Uh, And then Game of Thrones prequel, Let's Go, House of the Dragon, added some surprise to the night by claiming the Best Drama Award. Elsewhere, Tars Kate Blanchett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever's Angela Bassett, and Elvis's Austin Butler scored trophies along with the Bears' Jeremy Allen White, Euphoria's Zendaya, um, uh, and Yellowstone's Kevin Costner. Cheering for that one, uh, and it, but it wasn't Rip, um, but it was Kevin Costner. Um, <laughs> and in addition, Murphys uh, were also honored. Two Murphys, in fact, five-time Globe-winning uh, Ryan Murphy was given the Carol Burnett Award, and Eddie Murphy was handed the Cecil B. DeMille Award. So, guys, let's talk about this year's Golden Globes. What did you think of the show, and what did you think of this year's winners? 
Uh, I think I'm probably the biggest award show guy. Now that the Globes are out of the way, the, the build-up to the Oscars can truly begin. We'll probably get nominations in the next week or so. But uh, as always, uh, watch the show with a good friend of ours came over and we did uh, a really rushed uh, award sort of prediction as uh, we didn't find out the show was happening on Tuesday evening until about 4 o'clock that uh, afternoon. Oh, uh, no. Very well advertised and marketed. You know, I was blown away that I hadn't heard a thing about the show uh, airing later that night. Uh, but I will say this was the least prepared I've ever been for a prediction, and it showed in my score. I got absolutely rocked. Uh, <laughs> I, I lost big time. Uh, but my wife, Sarah, who's the queen, uh, pulled out a late last-minute victory. Thank you, Fablemans. Uh, I will say the overall tone of the show that started right from host uh, Gerard Carmichael's uh, very bleak opening monologue uh, yeah. continued into his next segment where he told the audience to shut the F up, to which they <laughs> did not do for the rest of the night. They talked over him for the rest of the show. Uh, he didn't say much after that. It just it felt awkward. And, I mean, I think that was his intention, but it certainly didn't make for as enjoyable as an experience as we've sort of seen with the Globes. Those are sort of loosey-goosey and fun, and this... This just, it had a weird, somber tone to a lot of the, the in-between-the-awards things, I thought. You know, I didn't, I didn't mind him as the host. I actually, I thought he was actually pretty funny with how, how blunt some of the things he was saying were. Um, I think, you know, these, these events are, for a lot of people, they're a party, right? For a lot of people in attendance. Um, and if, if, it sounds to me, from what I was hearing, that food wasn't properly distributed. I mean, it, it sounds like there was some stuff behind the scenes that was really, really not, uh, you know, kind of going smoothly. And so that led to some people, you know, drinking a little bit more and thinking, well, we'll offset it with food. And we saw that in some of the speeches. Um, you know, I, I, I love um, Lily Alcock up on stage just looked absolutely Blitz. I do not know. She was just teeing it up on stage. She was no pain. She was no no pain at all. Um, and it was just interesting to see as the night went on, like people more and more drunk. I think Jennifer Coolidge was absolutely hilarious uh, on stage. And then to follow that up with the, with the White Lotus win uh, for the show and Mike White coming up and he was just like, I'm so drunk right now. <laughs> just, <laughs> and he even called out the, the lack of food like it just it goes to show that this this event very much is a a celebration but i it's interesting to sort of see how the balance of that works from a standpoint of a television audience uh and i i even you even notice as well like I don't think at the beginning of the show they were putting up the the warning of being like this show may contain, may contain uh, you know um, uh, coarse language or whatever, and then they and they not, did not later on. Shits, we're talking hard f bombs, just uncensored. <laughs> yeah. That was that was shocking. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Um, but I think you know what I think at the end of the day, these these shows should always end up being uh, at their core to celebrate the people that put in the work to make the things that we love. And so at a certain point where I'm kind of like, yeah, let's have fun with it. Let's be loosey goosey. Let's, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's, you know, when, when uh, Natasha Leone comes up on stage and she talks about like 
how you know they they were told to keep their 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 um, speeches brief, and then she goes on describing how she, she was told to keep the speech brief for like a solid three minutes as a, just this run on gag was absolutely hilarious. But at the end of the day, I also do think that you know there were a lot of people that didn't get a chance to really say what they wanted to say or or talk for as long as someone like Steven Spielberg. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think that's a little bit uh, disheartening. And, and I kind of just, again, I, I'm, I'm in, in this in-between world where I'm like, yeah, celebrate, make it a party, but also make sure there's enough respect given to the people that actually deserve those awards. It, it's the format. It needs to change. It's it's yeah. too much of the same. Like this is this is a very weird celebration ceremony because it's like a dinner party. Right. And, yeah. and all of this and like there being issues with food like that makes sense, you know, behind the scenes struggles that are causing sort of a, a disarray of things that are happening um, that are taking people's attention away from the actual show or presentation like the Oscars is long, but at least it's situated. They're there. It's a it's it's treated as a show. But the idea, too, that they want these on television uh, they're not willing to stream them. Uh, I feel like that also plays a huge detriment to them trying to fit within like a a window of time because they want to uh, you know give everyone their awards, but then they run over. Right. Or it's right. like okay, it's then like, we cut back, and then it's like, yeah. well, you're still running over, right? Like you're still running over. So it's like, but it's I like, did find it really convenient to get onto the app and and watch it that way. I did find that much more convenient than with the Oscars. Um, so that was a little bit of a step up in, in my opinion, but, but you're absolutely right. If it, if it was solely streamed and not on TV, then they wouldn't have to worry about this time restriction. Mm -hmm. Well, and think about how many, how much time they wasted just with people getting to the stage. Like yep. it was so disorganized. They were weaving through tables. Like Brendan Gleeson at one point had to stand up and like tuck his chair in so somebody could get past him to get to the stage, you know, as they walk past 30 tables to get up there. Uh, you could have trimmed 20 minutes off that show just having, especially because they know who the winners are beforehand. So they could have right. sat people a little bit uh, more strategically to avoid some of that delay but uh yeah at one point seth rogan was like on a balcony somewhere and then had to walk somewhere else and I, i'm pretty sure he got lost for a solid minute and a half and he was probably pretty high so it's like that seems a little easier like put him closer to the front so he can make it to the stage for fablemans but no it was uh it was a little bit of a mess but um the i think the winners like you know uh angela bassett i think deserves every possible award for that powerhouse performance in Black Panther. Um, the court scene with Queen Ramonda is still living in my brain. Um, and I think the, the the biggest ones of the night, uh, Michelle Yeoh uh, and Kihei Kwan, um, I just, I loved seeing them on stage. And yeah, yeah I they absolutely both had really did great cry. Speeches. Yeah, oh they, my they gosh. They had great speeches. And, yeah, his speech you know, was phenomenal. Yeah, you can so you can sense his excitement, and it was manifesting itself in sort of a an emotional, char emotionally charged way. So, yeah, I was so happy to see Kiki Kwan uh, win this award, and Michelle Yeoh. Like, she was so humbled and so graceful, uh, even when she was uh, on stage, like threatening to uh, kick kick their ass for for starting <laughs> up the music. Um, and you so called good. it out, Angela Bassett. I'm so happy she won Best Supporting Actress. But after that everything kind of goes crazy like I, I nothing that i really predicted yeah. could win didn't win yeah i mean kevin how upset were you that mr costner wasn't able to brave the storm 
to get to to the awards. I mean, obviously I mean, we want him want him to be stay safe, but sure. I mean, was know. that even legit though? I loved the increasing <laughs> severity of the reasons why people weren't <laughs> able to accept their awards. Yeah, and it was disappointing that you know. Um, this is probably the only time he'll win the award for that. And so obviously being a big fan of the show and this being the only Golden Globe that uh, that it's ever won, um, you know, it was disappointing that he wasn't there. Uh, I, I can imagine, though, that uh, Better Call Saul fans are even more disappointed that yeah, once again, Mr. Bob yeah. Odenkirk, uh, uh, Odenkirk got looked over. The show got looked over. I mean, for it to have never won... And I think it won two out of, like, 40 awards in the big ones that it was nominated for over its six-year run. And you'd figure on this last season, it, this would have been the chance. Like, save Costner's for next year. He's been great so far in Yellowstone. You know, save it for, for when it's Yellowstone's final season and, and give Bobby some some love. It's crazy that that show yeah. got as overlooked. Maybe that the was most my biggest, overlooked yeah. show in, in yeah. history. That's my biggest disappointment for sure from from this award is that he, that that show got like no love because it's it's so good. Well, and yeah. even you know Emma Darcy not winning for for her uh, portrayal um, of Renaris Targaryen is you know uh, it wasn't surprising, it was disappointing. But for for House of the Dragon to have won, I can't believe that it won an award that Game of Thrones never won in all its eight seasons. Outside of uh, some Peter Dinklage uh, wins, that show never won Best Drama. Never? Um, and so, never. And so it's crazy that House of the Dragon was the season to do it. Even George R. R. Martin wrote a little thing uh, the next day just being like, I'm actually like really stunned here. Uh, so yeah, was, that, that was a good surprise too. Well, the showrunner, Miguel, came up and he was like, uh, you could tell that we didn't expect that we were going to win. He had his yeah. tie off and stuff like that. Yeah, so, he was. He you know, was ready probably for the rest all of the just night. drinking and like. <laughs> yeah, but Sapochnik, Miguel Sapochnik is gone now. So Ryan Condell, um, I really, I'm just praying that he's going to be able to to keep up with uh, with some, how incredible this first season was. Those are some big shoes to fill. That's a big that's shoes. a big that's a big knight's helmet with dragon wing flaps on the side <laughs> to fill. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, I also wanted to just quickly mention. Uh, I think this week was a a uh, a week of highs and lows uh, for Elvis fans, with Austin Butler taking home the Globe for his absolutely incredible portrayal of Elvis. I, I you know I, after watching that movie, I was telling people like, you know, if even if you're not an Elvis fan, if you're a fan of of like just movies and 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 sort of biopic portrayals, this is one for the books. And so seeing. Seeing him there and then seeing Lisa Marie at the Globes, so proud of him, so proud of the film. And then the tragic news that we've got recently of her passing away from cardiac arrest at just 54. Um, definitely a range of emotions for, for Elvis fans this week. Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of nice that she did get to see in some way her father get honored one more time before um, before she passed. Uh, are, are we all, is the whole world just going to ignore that Austin Butler just won't stop talking like Elvis? I mean, no, how long, he, how long I think he always he has talked like him. He, he, he's never qu- not quite. Someone like called that. him out for it in an interview, <laughs> that, and I, I don't remember where I was reading it, but he was saying, like, he doesn't recognize it, but he can understand why it's probably there because he spent so much time, you know, doing this thing. I, I don't know. I didn't think it was that great. In all honesty, hot take. Really? So, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is a hot take. Yeah. yeah I, thought, I thought his performance was great, but I will say he had one of the top five lines of the night when uh, the band tried to play him off and, huh, could you could you at least play uh, Suspicious Minds, baby? You know, that was <laughs> that was pretty funny. It was great. It was great. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, like another surprise for me, I mean, again, looking at all these nominees, I'd at least heard of pretty much everything that was nominated. Hadn't seen everything, but at least heard of it. I have never heard of Abbott Elementary, and that show took home uh, quite a lot of hardware. I mean, that sounds like a show worth checking out. I just, it's crazy to me that something yeah. that, Parks and, like, I'm I surprised mean, you haven't I've seen at least that. heard of The White Lotus and want to watch right. it. So to see it win wasn't so surprising. To see Abbott Elementary, you know, I've never, what, where does it play? Where does it stream? I've never heard of it. I think it's uh, an ABC uh, show. It's very, like, mockumentary. There's that Parks and Rec office vibe to it that, that feels very... Uh, self-referential that's talking about the public school system yeah it's it's two seasons right quinta brunson and then uh distributed by uh disney uh warner bros and 20th is it on disney plus probably disney plus definitely one that i want to check out after winning the hardware and i think that's another nice thing about these these award shows too and i i think that's also the thing that i love about the oscars right is that it, it can it exposes sort of you to the it, ex- yeah, yeah. It, it kind of brings to to yeah. a wider audience um and says hey Oh yeah, it is on check Disney this Plus. Out. Yeah. It's definitely worth it. It's on Disney Plus. Awesome. I know what I'm watching now. Um, but listen, before before Justin keeps stepping on our blue suede shoes, uh, let's get to our next story here. Uh, Simon Pegg plays Headmaster Black in Hogwarts Legacy. This comes from IGN by uh, Adele Anchors Range. Simon Pegg has joined the wizarding world of Harry Potter, uh, join, voicing the infamously cantankerous Headmaster Phineas Nigellus Black in Hogwarts Legacy. Pegg describes his character as the great-great-grandfather of Sirius Black, uh, as the least popular headmaster in history history of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. According to Peg, uh, he's there to scupper the efforts of the player, though he would much rather tend to his surgically manicured beard than carry out any actual school duties. Uh, quote, we saw Phineas in the books and the films. He was uh, a portrait in Dumbledore's office, but this, uh, this is at a time when he was actually actively the headmaster, uh, Peg notes in an announcement video, taking us behind the scenes of Hogwarts Legacy and introducing his character. Despite being an ancestor of Sirius Black, Phineas doesn't seem to possess any of the same qualities. In Peg's own in Peg's own words, uh, he's noble. He's not brave. He's just a self-interested fool who will prove to be any uh, to be both a help and a hindrance to players working their way through the game. The cast also features Leslie Nickel as Professor Matilda Weasley, which I was. Stoked to see that. Uh, she's the deputy headmistress of Hogwarts. Uh, Candace Kane as Professor Onai, uh, a gifted seer and divination teacher. And Sam Kapila as Professor Satyavi Shah, uh, a teacher of astronomy who is devoted to the sciences. Luke Youngblood, who played Lee Jordan uh, in the Harry Potter films, has also been confirmed for a role. He's going to be switching houses to provide the role, uh, the voice of Ravenclaw student Everett Clopton, who is described as an underachieving rule breaker and prankster in contrast to Asif Ali's Ravenclaw character Mahendra Palwan uh, an avid rule keeper Sebastian Croft and Amelia Gething provide voice options for the game's playable character while Jason Anthony voices nearly headless Nick and the sorting hat. Uh, the hat will take knowledge from the student's past along with input from, player, from the player to determine which Hogwarts house will be the right fit but you don't have to wait long for uh, for you to find out what house you're going to be in because Hogwarts Legacy will be available on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC on February 10th. 
Uh, and then if you haven't heard, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, for our last gen listeners on April 4th for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, and then for all of our Nintendo fans, uh, they got to wait till July 25th to get this game on Nintendo Switch. So big casting here, uh, and I think you know a little more insight into this upcoming game from Warner Bros. Interactive. Um, for you, Justin and Kevin, does this get you any more excited for the story in this game? I'm already I'm already super pumped for this. Uh, when I found out that you would need to uh, have a new gen system or wait until April, uh, I've already coordinated my brother's overseas in Germany right now, so I'm going to steal. Uh, and borrow his Xbox so I can play this uh, <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, Sarah and I are both amped. I think this thing is going to be playing on our TV 247 as we sort <laughs> of bounce between our own individual characters. I haven't seen Sarah this excited to play a video game ever. Uh, I think it's just going to be awesome. And then to have somebody as recognizable, I think, as Simon Pegg in a role like this really helps the game. My expectations and anticipation are through the roof right now for this one. I like what you said there with the the twenty four seven of keeping the game on the screen. Um, it's funny because I I just platinumed God of War Ragnarok, and there are some moments audibly when you're just standing somewhere in that game that just sound either so ethereal or just like you're in a forest or you're in the world of God of War. So to be to be in the world of of Harry Potter uh, and in the wizarding world and to hear, you know, people off in the distance enjoying a butter beer and like, you know, owls flying overhead, you know, you got to imagine just kind of having the open world on while you're just sort of chilling in your room. Like I'm kind of intrigued to make that happen. Um, but Justin, you know, Simon Pegg, he's a fantastic British actor. It's taken them mm -hmm. this long yeah. to get him into a Harry Potter project. What did you think? Well, I think that's the, the irony of the whole situation. Simon Pegg, well-known actor, British actor, never been in a Harry Potter series. And now he gets to be in a, in a new way for the next generation of Wizarding World and, and all things Hogwarts legacy related. Um, but to Kevin's point, yeah, I have high hopes for this game. I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for the level of puzzles that will be introduced in, in some of these these missions, uh, as well as the level of, of mystery. I guess the only thing that's really not overly clear is the level of open world to, right. to it um, to, to really explore. And I'm hoping that if you're starting to introduce Hogwarts and the Wizarding World into the video games, that you at least seed plant that you could at least extend this game because that's the beauty of dlcs right is like a game can then move on to a some a new chapter if you will uh while continuing it and then you know that that should bide some time until you can produce a follow-up game on the next gen console and and so on so yeah I'm, I'm hoping that this really does kind of open the door to more wizarding world in, in the gaming community well, and, and just to, to sort of uh, speak back on, on Simon Pegg a little bit, you know, it was cool to hear him in the in the video uh, talk about how Sirius Black is his favorite character from the books, and now he gets mm -hmm. to play the, the great-great-grandfather. And, and I love how he alluded to the fact that he's, you know, basically one of the, the only British actors uh, who wasn't uh, exactly. a part of, of the original mm -hmm. series. Uh, and uh, it was on TV the other day, just in the background, there was a game show, uh, like a, a, a trivia-style Harry Potter game show hosted by uh, Helen Mirren, uh, who also, you know, for you know her prestige and, and legacy and reputation for her to Potter. have not been yeah. in it as well. She So those two, uh, it's crazy that they were actually never part of it, and now they've both had a chance to, in one way or another, be a part of the Harry Potter world. Yeah, and I think... 
<clears throat> it makes me a little more hopeful for the game's narrative. Um, you're right, yeah. Justin. Like it's an open world game, right? So so they have to they have to nail you know two things here um, as part of it being a, a Harry Potter game. The the campaign and the storyline needs to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then the side quests, you know, again, I just I think back to something like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, where a lot of the side quests in the game are I think of Red pretty Dead, much man. just as good. Or yeah, Red Dead, where where you're just sort of falling into side quests and you're thinking like, I mean. oh, yeah. this is. And right. they're still so, so influential, right? To like yeah. your character and like you've learned something. And sometimes it's like super surprising what that side mission can suddenly open up. So, you know, we're not talking about like just any sort of side missions. I think I think there's there's possibility to go further with those. And then, you know, again, just just expand on them and, and more DLC. Well, this is Sirius Black's great, great grandfather. So you know, hearing that, hearing the fact that, um, you know, we're going to be getting uh, a Weasley headmistress, uh, Matilda Weasley, in this is is really exciting. And I guess that would be a, a great, 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 great grandmother or, of what have you, of Ron or, or what have you. So it's honestly, I, I'm really intrigued by this, uh, this game. I, I'm a little, the only thing that has me a little tripped up, and it always has, is the fact that it's Avalanche Software. Um, just <laughs> for the record, their last game was Disney Infinity. And I enjoyed Disney Infinity uh, 1.0, and and 2.0 was was okay, and then they did 3.0 that didn't really feel that much different. And so um, I just I just don't know how that works for a developer of Disney Infinity to then come in and do this massive franchise, this massive world. Um, have you watched any? Either of you watched any of the developer videos of the gameplay or anything like that? Like, um, or have you just trying to stay completely spoiler free? Oh, I've I've seen some stuff. I think we 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 actually you shared a video with us, um, and and it showed us a little bit. And I think it was even more of like a trailer. So I don't know. They're nailing the look of Hogwarts. You know what I mean? Like I I feel like I'm 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 interested. The the trailers definitely do a good job of of pitching this like a a very open world explore. Be your own wizard. You know, get sorted like the things that you that you know Wizarding World fans would want from a game like this, right? Uh, so I'm hoping, my fingers crossed. Like the only thing I really have to go off of is is your knowledge of Avalanche Software and and whether this could be good or not. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, you know, again, Harry Potter fans are clamoring for a good Harry Potter anything yeah. at this point. I think you know, not everyone loved the Fantastic Beasts. Not everyone loved. Um, yeah, so uh, what there's was a lot the, riding the play, on this. right? The the cursed child. So, I I think there is a lot riding on this, and I'm wondering if that's going to set the expectations too high that it's not going to be able to live up to it. But, anyways, we we will not have too long to wait. Uh, let's get to our next news story here. Uh, Michael Giacchino to direct them. Uh, it's because it's got an exclamation mark. I'm I'm saying them. Uh, this comes from uh, James White over at Empire. Having stuck a first couple of toes into directing with his short Monster Challenge uh, and the impressive and entertaining Werewolf by Night MCU Halloween special, composer Michael Giacchino is now looking to prove uh, that they weren't flukes by making his feature shot-calling debut with a reboot of the classic sci-fi thriller Them. Uh, with full backing of uh, of Warner Brothers. 
1954 original directed by Gordon Douglas saw a huge nest of irradiated ants discovered in New Me- in the New Mexico desert. They become a national threat when two young queen ants and their consorts escape to set up new nests. The national search that ensues culminates in a battle in the spillways uh, and storm drains of Los Angeles. It definitely sounds like something uh, Giacchino could give a fresh spin yeah. to. Uh, and he's on the hunt for a writer to start bringing it uh, to life in script form. Quote, there's always a movie in your mind that never leaves your head, Giacchino tells Deadline. For me, that's them. Uh, it wasn't until much later in life that I learned it was about the nuclear age. Continuing, he says, what I love about them is exactly what it's called. Them. It's about the other. The unknown which one refuses or can't understand. He adds the current version of them uh, is about immigration and to tell a story about the subject through a lens of this insane science fiction fiction monster movie. So what do you guys think, uh, you know, a modern version of them even looks like? And are you excited to see Giacchino back in the director's chair? A hundred percent. Like, you know, he did such a great job with Werewolf by Night and... I think it's great that he's able to use that as sort of a, a portfolio boost. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that has a lot to do with why Warner Brothers wants to, you know, has given him full backing to do this movie. Um, but I'm excited to see what he, he's going to do with it and how he how, how he will make it modern. Um, clearly, he has a passion for it. And I think that that if you have a passion for that and that's something that you want to do, you should do it because that's probably going to be some of your your best work. Um, so it sounds like there's a good partnership and, and relationship here with it. Um, but I don't know, giant ants, I'm sure Kevin might feel uneasy about giant ants. Like, <laughs> Not a fan of a giant I, ants. I don't do bugs in my movies. I especially <laughs> don't do giant bugs in my movies. Uh, you know, so there's a whole 10 minute sequence of, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong that I don't watch. Just you and I were talking the other day um, about uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. How yeah, yeah. it's my least favorite, just because for like forty-five minutes of that movie, I have to like stare off to the side of the screen as they're <laughs> stomping over bugs or sticking their hand in bug holes and stuff. So <laughs> big giant bugs just don't do it for me. I mean, when you know when we when you look at the footage from the the nineteen fifty four version, it's it's so dated that it, it looks a bit comical. Mm-hmm. And so I can handle that, but you render that in new age CGI, and you, you know, yeah. Well, uh, I think the only time it. I've been okay with a giant ant on my screen is in uh, Honey, Honey, We Shrunk the Kids. I th- that right. was there was you know they made the ant a, a likable. What about fun what character. about Anthony? Did you like Anthony at all? Anthony was okay. Anthony, you know, I right can do it. It, it, it was almost a little creepy, the size of a dog running around all fast and everything <laughs> like that. But uh, again, if, if handled in a fun, lighthearted way, I can handle it. But when well, they're, just, they're monstrous yeah. and evil and poison pinchers and uh, oh, I just, it creeps me out, man. Well, that's just it too, because like they want to go for a modern take on it. So it's like there's a self-referential part to watching the old footage that makes you just kind of chuckle and laugh and think about like, oh, how far we've come from filmmaking and telling these kind of stories and, you know, doing something like this, you know, in a more modern approach, it feels like you want to go more self-referential. You want to, you want people to kind of laugh and, and, and kind of chuckle, but you know, 
this feels very similar to the premise of District Nine, yeah. with different with different takes on it, and especially given the fact that that was very much a commentary about you know the apartheid and and you know refugees and yeah, I, I, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how he could probably potentially balance both a serious tone and comedic tone with this retelling of them. Well, I'm hoping the the possibility for that might come through if he does try to stick with this sort of. Um, style that he's kind of yeah, done like with Werewolf by Night movie. by yeah. making it like a 50s style sort of you know world and mm-hmm. writing and it doesn't necessarily even have to take place in the 50s um, but just to sort of give it that vibe and and m- almost make it where it's like it feels like a movie out of time. Maybe from um, a music standpoint that's how he does it. I could see him really being able to capture that tone just based on what he did with Werewolf by Night. Yeah, and Werewolf by Night still had modern sensibilities while also still being very 1930s horror monster movie inspired at the same time. And the way it was shot, absolutely. Yeah. Well, just performances too, right? Like yeah. not everyone was over the top theatrical. There were people that were very today versions of their character, right? So, right. And they still had a theatrical character played by Harriet Sansom Harris who plays Versa and she was very over the top. So maybe you just need one over the top theatrical person to kind of bind this down to to that vibe of the 50s well and watching the original trailer for this on youtube (laughs) damn the music is so loud in i don't know if it was because (laughs) of the youtube video and the mix was off or something but like obnoxiously loud to the point where i was like this is gonna break my headphones (laughs) if i watch them any more of this three minute long what was pretty much just the entire movie. Um, so if you want to watch a three minute long version of this movie, then go for it. Um, but I do hope, I hope stylistically that yes, he does sort of continue with the horror genre um, and that the music is fantastic. He'll, he'll do the music. It'll be fantastic. Um, but honestly, after werewolf by night, anything he does, I'll be, I'll be to going to yeah, the yeah. theaters. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Uh, well, listen, speaking of, of going to the theaters, um, we are all going to be going to the theaters, I think, to see these next few trailers. Uh, so let's talk about them because it's trailer time. Our first trailer is for Bo is Afraid. Uh, this is written and directed by Ari Aster. Bo is Afraid stars Joaquin Phoenix in the titular role of Bo, an excruciatingly paranoid man who has a difficult relationship with his helicopter parent mother who raised Bo on her own. When he finds out that his mother dies, however, he begins an anxiety-ridden journey home plagued with some zany threats ranging from ominous strangers to house arrest anklets to stray bullets to what appear to be 1920s film sets. Uh, This is starring Joaquin Phoenix, Parker Posey, Amy Ryan, Kylie Rogers, Richard Kind, Patti Lapone, Nathan Lane, Michael uh, Gandolfini. We've got Armin Nahapatien, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, as Teen Bo, uh, and Ryan S. Hill as Bo's son. Uh, This is in theaters April 21st, 2023. Probably, I say possibly, uh, because, you know, we know A24... The way they release their films sometimes, it's, you know, in limited runs and then they they expand out. So um, we're just going to say April 21st right now. But guys, what did you think of our first look at the next film from Ari Aster? Wild. (laughs) Right. It looks very bizarre. It looks it looks I think you said it fever dream. Yeah. Um, But I love I love Joaquin's performance in the trailer. Right. I think it looks different from from things that Ari Aster has done before with Hereditary, but then it, it also doesn't look different from something like Midsommar, 
right? right. Where it's kind of got that same sort of colorful exterior, but then it's got it slowly morphs into that dark, horrifying yeah. center in the in the yeah. you know. And so I think. Right, and I'm getting Truman Show vibes from this. Yep. Um, I'm wondering if it's all in Bo's head. Like, is he in a coma the entire movie? Does it take place over a few months, a few years? Uh, Kevin, what, do you, what did you think of this uh, this trailer? Uh, yeah, I think I, I would definitely say that you know Joaquin Phoenix, as one of the great actors of our of our time, certainly looks to be giving that sort of fully committed, fully engrossing performance here, um, and it looks like he gets to play almost different versions of this character throughout. Uh, and so that's always exciting to think that, you know, he has something so big to sort of, you know, chew into. But I, I totally, it looks so weird. Um, <laughs> and certainly I'm not one to have uh, been much of a fan or even have seen Ari's previous uh, films. So mm -hmm. uh, this one maybe is the most... Um, uh, approachable for me, just in that it's not just billed as a straight-out horror movie. Although I think, Correct. I think elements of it will be quite horrifying in in its you know depictions of of you know uh, trauma and and whatnot. So I don't know. This 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 certainly doesn't look like the feel-good movie of the year. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's it is a hundred percent more accessible than some of his other movies that I think people would you know if you've just heard about them you might not necessarily go and watch it right off the bat that said i think that it is gonna as kevin was saying it's gonna make you feel uncomfortable i think it's going to kind of tap into something that feels familiar to the horror side but i think leans more into the psychological and the disordered um aspect of of looking at you know trauma and maybe how things have manifest themselves to one's personality and i think that that's going to be captured in in joaquin's character for sure well i think delving like we we're talking about it but delving into the human psyche as as a horror movie right is is perfect and i think joaquin has done this before with todd phillips and joker and i think it's going to be even deeper and and super trippy i'm sure i'm sure you know justin you'll be you'll be uh you know, hitting up the the greens before you you check out this one, but um, maybe but not. honestly, maybe not. Maybe you won't have yeah. to. Actually, you're you right. Need um, to, exactly. You won't need yeah. to. Um, the music they used in the trailer was great. Goodbye, strangers. I think Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan's characters are going to be uh, fantastic in this. Um, and uh, and I also want to just shout out the casting of uh, Armin, and I'm going to butcher his last name again, Nahaptian, uh as Teenage Bo. Like, seeing him when they put the poster out, I was like, oh, that's just a CGI'd de-aged child version, and I it's not. the exact same thing. It's, it's a real person that looks like a young Joaquin Phoenix. It looks perfect. <laughs> I was... Absolutely blown away. Absolutely blown away. I'm so excited for this uh, to, to hit theaters April 21st. It's going to be a lovely sort of Easter time treat, I think. Everyone's going to, you know, celebrate their, <laughs> their with their family and go see Bo is Afraid in theaters. Um, but uh, let's get to uh, maybe another movie that might be too scary for Kevin. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, this next trailer for... Renfield. Uh, this is directed by Chris McKay, uh, who actually did the Tomorrow War and the Lego Batman movie. Uh, this story is based on an original idea by The Walking Dead and Invincible creator Robert Kirkman. Uh, the description as follows. Uh, in this modern monster tale of Dracula's loyal servant, we follow Renfield, the tortured aide to, the, to history's most narcissistic boss, Dracula. Renfield is forced to procure his master's prey and do his every bidding, no matter how debased. 
But now, after centuries of servitude, Renfield is ready to see if there's a, a life outside of the shadow of the Prince of Darkness, if only he can figure out how to end his codependency. This is starring Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, Shorey Agdash, Agdashlu, uh, Brendan Scott, Jones, uh, Jenna Cannell, Ben Schwartz, hey, uh, Caroline Williams, and the man, the myth, the legend, Nicholas Cage as Dracula. This is coming out in theaters also in April, April 14th, 2023. Uh, Kevin, are you excited to see Nicolas Cage take on the role of a lifetime? <laughs> role of, of over 5,000 roles uh, of Dracula. Well, I believe, don't you mean Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Sorry, uh, as, yes. as he would say it himself. <laughs> but uh, no, I think, I thought that was a fun reveal in the trailer. I didn't know he was in it. I, I couldn't quite put... Um, uh, a face to the voice as you sort of heard him in the background and so the big reveal of him as Dracula I thought was a lot of fun uh, I think this looks this looks like a hoot it looks like it's going to be a, a gory messy splattery uh, just fun ride uh, and I think uh, Aquafina and Nicholas Holt uh, could be a really fun pairing as they try to thwart uh, Dracula and, and escape his clutches um, yeah, no, that, that's that's a this one came out of nowhere. I hadn't heard much about it until the trailer came out, and uh, I'm all for it. I'm very excited to see this one. How did you say it? Uh, Dracula is a narcissistic uh, person yeah. in this movie. Narcissistic I feel boss. Like, yeah, a narcissistic boss. I think that Nicolas Cage could play that really, really well, and uh, you know, I think he's going to do a fantastic job. Is that that's definitely the I think the big get. It's interesting how this feels very action oriented too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw last year Day Shift, which featured sort of like this upscaled monster movie with a lot of brutality and stuff like that. And at moments I was getting hints of that, like just with the you know, choreography, especially. Yeah, yeah, especially with the choreography. Right. So far more interested in what this story is because of Nicolas Cage. I will say that. So I think that it's, it's a good casting to to get people to want to see it. That's such a good call, though. This looks a lot like, you know, a, a vampire action movie, but just written far better than than what we got with with Day Shift. Yeah. Uh, even in the trailer, just some of the throwaway lines from some of the the, the secondary and background characters are are way funnier, way more enjoyable than anything that we really got out of uh, Day Shift. So, um, yeah, no, it, yeah, there's a great comparison, though. This is almost like an elevated version of that. Yeah, well, I love like- I love the the subtle like sort of puns as well like the lady in the group therapy saying now that sounds familiar to a familiar uh and he, he kind of trips him up a little bit and I, I really like that sort of smart writing that that you know i think it can go a long way it reminded me a lot of what we do in the shadows but make it an action movie you know what i mean like it was kind of like they just took that base and then said now now make it an action movie um nick cage honestly if he showed up in an episode of what we do in the shadows i would not uh bat an eye uh, there's another pun for you, um, but it does look like he's really going to chew up every scene uh, that he's in. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to take my quote from from Kevin's writing style here. <laughs> that, <laughs> was a, that, that, that kind of that, that bites. That bites. Chew, oh, yeah, yeah, dang yeah. it! Oh. <laughs> well, this is going to be a bloody good time, um, and it, the movie does look really gory. If you haven't had a chance to watch the red band version of the trailer on YouTube yet, um, feel free to do that because it's basically the same trailer except the priest explodes into a million pieces <laughs> so like that looks hilarious um it kind of looks like it's gonna keep that sort of fun low budget sort of feeling 
Um, but with the action movie feel, I'm I'm intrigued. And then I did think Nicholas Holt sounded a lot like Ewan McGregor in this trailer, though. Did you get that at all? Like when there's a moment where he says, "But this modern world is a dangerous place," and I was like, I was like, wow, I just I don't know. I got I got Ewan McGregor vibes. I don't know. Right in. Let me know if you got Ewan McGregor vibes as well, uh, listener. Uh, but listen, we're running out of time here, and I think the one thing that we all need is more time. And the person to give it to us uh, might be in this next trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. This is directed by Peyton Reed. Uh, superhero partners Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne return to continue their adventures as Ant-Man and the Wasp. Together with Hope's parents, Janet Van Dyne and Han- Hank Pym, uh, and Scott's daughter, Cassie Lang, the family finds themselves exploring the quantum realm, interacting with strange new creatures, and embarking on an adventure that will push them beyond the limits of what they thought possible. This is starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Jonathan Majors, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, Catherine Newton, David Desmalchian, Ka- uh, Katie O'Brien, uh, William Jackson Harper, Bill Murray, uh, and I'm pretty sure, and we're going to talk about it, but I'm pretty sure Corey Stoll is also in this movie. Uh, this movie comes out February 17th, 2023. It's right around the corner. I'm so excited for it. But guys, uh, this latest trailer, what did you think for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania? Darker. Much darker, eh? Yeah. It does not, it definitely is the final trailer that just says that, you know, you're used to Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp to be kind of comedy movies. This is going to be a bit different. Uh, I think that it's great that they're doing that with this character, with Ant Man, again, seen as one of the more comedic superheroes. Um, I don't think it's going to lose itself into the darkness, but I think that Kang does pose uh, an, a huge threat. Like that shot of him towards the end of the trailer, oh. he's just screaming and he's shooting, shooting out the blue, blue light out of his hands. Whoa, that looks, he's coming for, for Scott, for sure. He, yeah. He's definitely coming for him. But I know a lot of people are thinking that he's going he's gonna to die. I don't think Scott's going to die. Okay. Actually, I think that that's, that's a red herring. I think that they're very they're playing pretty obvious with that in the trailer. I do think we're going to lose an Ant-Man. It's just going to be the original Ant-Man. You think, I think Hank, Hank Pym, Pym is going to die, and he's going to sacrifice himself to save Scott, which is going to be the ultimate testament to them closing their mentor-mentor-student sort of uh, relationship. And I think that's going to give him some serious trauma. Um, I think that could be explored further, especially with a character like Ant-Man. You know, they're already tapping into that with the loss of time. I don't know. Well, I think this trailer definitely felt like a, a stark contrast uh, from the previous trailer that we got. Um, sorry, that is another pun, but I, I didn't actually intend that one. Um, <laughs> but emphasized it like yeah. you did. Jeez. <laughs> Rip. Um, but <laughs> but I do think that um, that you know it it definitely feels much more epic. This feels like the end of a trilogy. Right, it's it's kicking off the multiverse saga, but it's ending the Ant Man trilogy. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts on? Uh, I know you you were you did our, our this week in geek where you talked about the first trailer that hit. Um, what did you think about this one in contrast? Uh, it, you know, it, they definitely give uh, a, a deeper look at uh, the the conflict between Scott and and um, oh geez, how could I not think of uh, Major's character here, Kang. Um, Kang, obviously, jeez. Um, you certainly get uh, a, a glimpse into their big conflict or confrontation, and I do like that it looks like we're getting back to a little bit more hand-on-hand combat, which you don't get a lot uh, in in Marvel these days. So that's pretty cool. I do. I just always worry that they that have they given away too much. Did we see sort of the the climax of the movie as Scott says, you know, I don't have to kill you. We both just have to. 
you know, I have to stop both of us or something. Mm -hmm. Like, I that's always my fear with these second trailers. I don't even know why they need to release two completely fresh new trailers for a movie like this. Like, the poster alone is going to get everybody into the theaters to see it. You almost don't even need a trailer (laughs) for these. And so... And, like, you know, it's easy to say, just don't watch. You know what's going to happen. You know we're watching them all. Like, if they release a third one two days before the movie, I'm going to watch it, too, and then be (laughs) upset that I did. Um, I just honestly, I can't shake my uneasiness towards the aesthetic of the quantum realm. I just Mm. don't like the look of it. I I know I've said it uh, on a previous podcast. I I just, to spend two hours there, it just aesthetically doesn't do much for me. I hope I'm drastically wrong and the adventure itself just sweeps me away and I and I and I get fully immersed into it but I'm just I'm just so uneasy about how this film looks where it's taking place I'm I'm far more of a ground level kind of guy yeah it looks like a it looks like a CGI fest uh in in that respect um I I think Chronopolis is going to be interesting I think giving fans at least that that ability to see Chronopolis realized um in some way and maybe even connecting the dots be from here to what we've seen in Loki um, on the other side. I think that that's, that's going to really be uh, an interesting parallel if they can, if they can establish it Um, because this does feel familiar to that, but also at the same time, incredibly more elevated, like just, just over the top. I'm not going to use the word spectacle, but I'm going to (laughs) say, well, I think, I think, I think this is, this is Chronopolis's time to shine, right? I don't know how often we're going to get to come back to this place. I know we're going to get a lot more Kang, obviously, but that's because I really believe at the end of this movie that Kang gets his wish. Obviously, he gets to to get out of um, the 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 quantum realm, um, and I think that's maybe what this movie's kind of looking at is like he's offering. You know, I think a lot of people are saying that Kang is offering Scott time to relive the years that he missed out on of Cassie's life. I actually yeah. think it's a I think that's actually not true. I actually think that he's offering Scott more time to prevent something from happening to Cassie and his family. Um I think that is is maybe a little bit more along the lines of what's actually going on. Um and and who knows if that has anything to do with like again messing up the timelines and switching things around. Um but I I don't I don't know man. I'm I'm really really intrigued by Kang. I think he looks absolutely phenomenal. The blue laser shield. I'm happy he's not actually blue. Like I'm happy it's just sort of like a laser shield. But yeah. speaking of faces in this movie, can we talk about the giant ass stretched face of Darren C- Cross uh, <laughs> as Modok? Um, what did you guys think of our first look at Modok in in the MCU? I wonder if that was an accident to have included that shot. Like, you think it, so? it, no, they don't. Make I think so. Like that. They what? never let something like that accidentally no. in a trailer. Okay, Everything fine. is so fine. combed fine. over it just, with a fine. It just seems like, so like non, not refined. Like like yeah. you said, it looks really weird. On the PSP in Tony Hawk's uh, Underground, whatever I don't yeah. remember which one it was. You had the option for customize and create your own character. You upload a JPEG onto your memory card of your face, and it would just put your face on this round circle face thing that would stretch it out like that's literally what this looks like and if people are upset with the cgi in something like you know thor love and thunder with astrid i this is not going to be that much better i'm hoping they play it for a laugh i'm hoping it's it is they lean into that maybe that is part more of the, the comical side uh, i thought his mask looked pretty dope very samurai looking-esque mask um yeah. but Dude, the the mental organism designed only for killing. Uh, I, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what what he actually is doing in this movie, and 
and it's it's intriguing because it's like is this is this and I'm, this is me coming I at it can, from I mean yeah. Darcy might have a better better answer for this but do you think this is really the movie to bring Modoc into it. You know, we've seen well, think- the Marvel recently, the MCU recently bringing in more and more characters that sort of are like, did they need to be in this one? Uh, could sure. he potentially be that? Well, I think it makes sense for him to be there. I know Darcy would probably say that, but I would think that Kang is using Darren Cross um, and has helped him to become Modoc. And maybe that's how Modoc, maybe that's how Kang has found Scott. Um, you know, again, I, I think that given the fact that we know what happened to Darren Cross in Ant-Man, you know, him coming out on the other end and being desperate, I could see him, you know, clinging to Kang. But, you know, Kevin, you said it like this movie feels so above the grounded street level of what we had previously from Ant-Man that I think it's it's almost it's warranted and it's deserved, um, especially after the events of Endgame and him being the one that did navigate a plan for the time heist, I think that probably that might come into some sort of level of justification as to why they were kidnapped and, and brought into the quantum realm. And, and that too, like we see in the trailer that Cassie is, you know, f- using some sort of element to tap into the quantum realm. And I think that that leaves them exposed and, and vulnerable and Kang already knowing who Scott Lang is. And yeah, I think that there's, there's a reason why Ant-Man is the pawn that Kang wants to use. Yeah, I mean, just as a final thought here, I, I'm actually kind of excited for the movie because this is the lowest expectations I've had for a Marvel movie, um, you know, maybe all throughout a, a Phase 4. And so to start it off here, this could be, like, just such a pleasant surprise for me. I, I almost don't think this movie can be anything but amazing. I think how important it is for starting off the the, the Kang era and everything that I think they, they're really going to do their best to, to hit it out of the park here. And so, yeah, as as low as my expectations are, I think that only leaves that much room for me to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Majors, man. Oh, he's going to kill it. He's going to kill someone. He's going to kill someone. And, and yeah, maybe it is Hank Pym. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know how much Michael Douglas wants to keep sticking around in the MCU and, and like they're doing the whole changing the old guard. And even with the previous, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, we're like, oh, you know, Rocket's going to die. Bautista's going to die. You know, like Bautista already officially came out and said he's not playing the character anymore. So like, yeah, he very well could be. Um, but listen, we do not have long to wait. Um, Kang has gifted us with with a shorter amount of time because the movie comes out February 17th, 2023. Uh, so that is it for trailer time. Guys, let's get to our first Whatcha of 2023. Uh, and uh, Kevin, I'm actually going to have you kick us off. Uh, so to, to start off the year, I, w- I was going to talk about uh, a show I've been watching over on Paramount by my, my boy, uh, Taylor Yellowstone Sheridan stars Sylvester Stallone. It's called Tulsa King. But you know what? Uh, I've just been so busy with the holidays and everything. I'm only about halfway through the series, so I think I'll wait until I watch the first full season to talk about it a little bit more in depth. Uh, So I got something a little bit different today. Uh, A couple months ago, I discovered discovered this YouTube series uh, that's done by GQ, and it's called Iconic Characters. And it's... It's a really, really fun look um, at uh, basically all of your favorite actors and actresses talking about uh, their most iconic characters, what it means to them, how they got the part, 
uh, what the legacy of those characters are for them. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it was uh, just last a couple weeks ago, it was Ryan Johnson breaking down his uh, biggest movies. Uh, Brendan Fraser came on as the whale started gaining traction. So they sort of seem to lock down these these actors as they're, you know, in the spotlight or, you know, they have a big movie coming out. They have got uh, 123 episodes of the series all, uh, already. Episodes are usually about 22 minutes, so it's almost, you know, uh, a typical uh, episode of, of a TV show, if you will. But, yeah, no, it's just, it's been a lot of fun watching these. I, I keep going through the list going, oh, I, I'd love to see Daniel Radcliffe talk a little bit about, you know, not just Harry Potter, but maybe some of the other roles he's done. And so, yeah, I would definitely recommend checking that out. That's Iconic Characters by GQ. Basically, anybody you can think of. Kevin Bacon uh, was on right around the time that the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special came out. And so to see him talk about how much he loved Tremors and and playing in that movie, you know, of all the things, that was the one that he sort of had the most fun doing. It's really neat to to sort of see... You know, not just characters you love, but that they that these actors loved playing. It, it brings a new level to uh, your appreciation for what they they they've done with these characters. So it's a lot of fun. That looks great. I love I love a good sort of sit down, have a nice meal, and uh, and sort of watch some of these because it does look like they they these are maybe a little more in depth than just like an interview. Uh, and and to hear them sort of talking more about the things that they want to talk about. And um, yeah, the most recent episode is Don Cheadle. Uh, which looks fantastic. Um, so that's really cool. Iconic characters on YouTube. It's not like a YouTube premium thing, though, right? It's like you can just anyone can watch nope. it. No, yeah, it's just through yeah. the G. I just yeah, right through the GQ sort of uh, YouTube page, fantastic. right under playlists for all the gentlemen uh, and gentle uh, other people as well. <laughs> uh, but Ke- <laughs> Justin, uh, how about yourself? Honestly, I have just been watching things that I can't talk about right now. So oh. uh, we will we will save this for a later date. But I will say one of them is probably the best show of 2023. Uh, and we're already in the first week of 2023. So uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So I hope well, that gets you, you'll you. have to wait and see because there's some reviews coming. Gets me hyped. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. OK. Um, for me, uh, for my watcha. Uh, as I mentioned, I did I did platinum uh, God of War Ragnarok finally, so my gaming time has kind of opened up for me to play something a little less bombastic. Uh, and after about three years of waiting, I finally have received my play date in the mail. Uh, and guys, I've been loving this little system right here. It's got a little crank on it. You got a little crank, and I've been cranking it all over the place. I've been cranking it at home. I've been cranking it at work. I've just been Don't cranking crank in public, it. Bud. I'm cranking <laughs> in public, dude. I'm cranking all over the place. Um, <laughs> for, for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about uh, and are just have now turned off the podcast, uh, th- this is from the developers of games like Firewatch and Untitled Goose Game. They partnered with a Swedish company called Teenage Engineering, and they made this little tiny, it's like a small little handheld game system. It's really small, uh, and it's got like a, a non-backlit screen. So you're going back to like the Game Boy days of needing a light to, to look at it. Probably would infuriate you, Kevin. But um, but I will say the games that are on this and that are that are aimed for this system are delightful. They're so charming. It's a lot of free software. But right now, like for instance, I'm playing a game called Casual Birder, where you play like a 30-something-year-old hipster, where you go around and you're trying to win a bird photography tournament while you're learning about the community 
uh, of of people that get into birding. Um, so it's really like quirky and fun and silly. Uh, and like you use the crank for that game to like focus your camera while you're taking pictures of the birds. And it just it feels so silly, but the quality of the system is so like just really well done. Teenage Engineering is just known for their their quality products, so um, it it was worth the wait. It's worth the three years. Uh, I would say check it out. I would even recommend you buy one, um, but you might be waiting till like twenty twenty six at this point. I mean, I think they say it ships in twenty twenty three, but it'll be late this year if they're managing to uh, to catch up with manufacturing. But if you like games like you know that Panic make like Untitled Goose Game. I really do think you would dig this little system. I don't know. Have you guys ever gotten into any of like the super indie games at this level or no? No, no. no I think I think You're I'm more interested in no, I <laughs> no, definitely not as hardcore as wanting to crank in public. Um, <laughs> I think I think the um, the one thing that you got that I really am interested in is the analog. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Allowing you to play like your Game Boy, old school Game Boy games. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The thing is like is like is so nice. The OLED screen on it is really nice. The Super color. Crisp. Um, it's super sharp, so all of those games look like really, really refined, um, and they're all obviously like just old school. So I think I would pick up something like that and wait the long wait for for that for that one too. Over, yeah, for yeah, for over the one uh, the play date. Yeah, the play date. But mm-hmm. I love the name. And I like the yeah. branding. The branding is yeah. really nice. It's what purple and yellow. It's cute, and and you know what they do yeah. is like they don't give you all the games right away. So you get mm-hmm. a year. It's they do what they do is every Monday they release mm-hmm. two more games. And so from the date that you activate it, you get two games and then you play those for, for a week. And then the next Monday you get two more games, you get to play those and you get to keep all the games, but it sort of builds your library. Okay, I was going to say, do they go away after no, a week? They, they don't go away. They don't, you're not like stressed. Like, oh, what do I want to finish this game? But they've got some really, really fun looking games. And then again, the community, this is all for developers, right? So is there a knocked off version of, uh, of Tetris called Playtris on it? Absolutely. And it's fantastic because it's just Tetris. But, um, you know, there's there a version of Snake where you use the crank to crank your snake? Absolutely. Uh, and it's fantastic. I'd say, you know, if again, I'd recommend everyone cranks their snake. Anyways. I don't even know what to think. <laughs> uh, just as a heads up, I'm on the website now. Uh, you can pre-order them. And it says uh, available for 2023. There's no specific date, but they're saying they might be up. So maybe they're... They've they've reduced they've their turnaround up. time on those orders. Hopefully, they're really. It's honestly, it's really really fun. Uh, so look into it. But uh, that is it. We hope you enjoyed this week in geek. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you want to write into the into the show with your thoughts on this week's news or any of the content we cover here, well, I'm going to cast a magical spell of wisdom over to Justin to let you know how you can reach us by owl. Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they reach out to us on Twitter at GeekcentricYT or on Instagram at WeAreGeekcentric. Keep in mind, we also have a ton of other great episodes covering the latest in movies, TV shows, and games, including our most recent episode where Kevin took us through a a look back, or as we call it, a geek back uh, at 2022, and all of our favorite movies and TV shows of the year. Uh, We discussed our biggest disappointments and what we're looking forward to most in 2023. Uh, And we also have our weekly 
uh, watch club going on uh, for Star Wars The Bad Batch, which you can enjoy every Wednesday after the episode drops on Disney+. Plus. It's a great way to hear our juicy, spoiler-filled thoughts and theories uh, on each and every moment of that series. Uh, plus, if you enjoy Star Wars The Bad Batch, we also had the opportunity to sit down with The Bad Batch themselves, D. Bradley Baker, as well as the show's supervising director, Brad Rao, and head writer, Jennifer Corbett. Um, and... You know, Justin was saying we got some more, you know, stuff that he can't talk about yet. Well, we also have some interviews from some of the stuff that he can't talk about or we can't talk about just yet. So I'm so excited uh, for those to be up on YouTube. You can check those out either. Uh, you can listen to them on podcast service of your choice uh, or you can hear them or and see them on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric. So go give all those episodes a like, a listen. Be sure to comment and leave a five star review if you don't mind. Nate, Kevin, I'm Nate. Kevin, Justin, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us for <laughs> joining me for this globe winning episode. And as we say, love ya. Get home safe, guys. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>